You are listening to the Legal Design Podcast. My name is Nina Toivonen. And I am Henna Tolvanen. This is Legal Talk Out of the Box. In this episode, we talk about business models and how professional service firms can make sure that they are future ready. We also talk about being data-driven and whether or not law firms should rely on data when planning for a future. Our guest today is Sebastian Hartmann from KPNG. Sebastian leads technology strategy at KPNG International and has wide experience on transformation in professional service firms. It's such an honor to have you with us, Sebastian. Welcome. Thank you, Hannah and Nina. It's great to be here. <laughs> Thank you, Sebastian, for joining our podcast. Um, this is the question we usually ask everyone because it interests us. Um, how did you, Sebastian, get interested in legal design or design thinking in, in the first place? So I was interested in design thinking quite early on in my career as a management consultant, um, simply because it's a really great and useful toolbox for a number of situations and different challenges that you come across as a consultant in the field. Um, however, regarding legal design, I would have to admit that I only really became aware of it through the Legal Design Summit in Helsinki in 2019. And, um, and probably it was only then that um, I would say the conversations that I had in the field really started Um, to take off and um, I was made aware of everything that's going on in in this particular area of professional services. Yeah, that's great. Uh, Sebastian, I'm sure that many of our listeners like me and Nina follow you on LinkedIn and you have raised some interesting questions and topics on LinkedIn and you have talked a lot about change in professional services. Uh, why do you think that we need new business models and why aren't the old models suitable anymore to satisfy the needs people have today or in the future? So let me say maybe first of all that while I deeply believe that our business models are changing and that professional services as an industry needs to change, um, and I think for the better, I'm really not alone with this opinion. So we do yeah. an annual survey of CIOs and, and several other executive roles across a ton of industries, but also across professional and, uh, and business service firms. And what was super interesting last year is we got an all-time high in the professional services segment where 87% of firms said they expect their services to go through radical or major transformation over just the next three years, where they say that, you know, the same percentage says that digital transformation is now the new normal for their firm. So this is actually happening. And it is happening for a number of reasons. Um, I would say first and, and, and most important of all, and that feels very natural to every professional service firm, that starts with client demand. Client demands are changing. There is a different structure to these demands. Um, we have just seen exactly what was, for example, described already many years ago by um, Richard and Daniel Suskind in their book, Future of the Professions, um, yeah. which really stated it, you know, as, as professionals, 
we um, we we don't see that um, information asymmetry anymore, right? There is not much of a difference in terms of information available to to many clients of professional service firms and the professionals. Um, so we see the nature of the work changing. It is a lot less about paying experts for their opinions or advice, but much more about delivering a lot more clearly scoped solutions. Um, so it is not so much focused on the input anymore, like how many hours or days is someone spending on that, but much more about the throughput or output that is happening. So this is exactly the reason why you see also this whole shift in terminology that I love to talk about on LinkedIn. Um, <laughs> that we're not just delivering you know, consulting services, accounting services, legal services anymore but that it's actually solutions, which is a, a huge and fundamental mindset shift for our industry, which goes probably a lot deeper than many firms initially think when they adopt this term. Exactly. And I think that this is an interesting era of being part of professional service firms because things are truly changing. We're not just talking about it, but we're doing the change. Yeah. So uh, to talk about the role of design thinking or legal design in, in driving the change or speeding up the change, um, how does design thinking, how does it fit in the, this whole uh, process of change at the moment? So when, um, when we started a large scale change project and transformation program, actually, I would say for KPMG Germany, um, back in 2014, 15, it was actually, um, we really put this term solutions at the center of it. And when it came to designing solutions and grasping really just our existing business also through a solution lens, we rigorously applied design thinking methodologies. And um, and, and I think one example, how I can easily explain that is how we structure a solution, how we broke that down, um, because that is very much based on design thinking principles. Mm. First of all, we really started with um, thinking about what are we doing for our clients? What, what is triggering our clients really? What's happening out there? What trends, market trends are influencing them? And then what kind of client issues do these trends and market triggers cause? And when we can solve a client issue, we would have a solution, irrespective of whether that solution you know, is something that requires two rocket scientists or you know, 500 people sitting somewhere across the globe or a super smart digital tool. And, and that was really at the heart of this entire thinking. And then from there, we unfolded our whole taxonomy map and structuring around it as a firm and how we want to structure ourselves. And basically, I would say redesigned um, or, or reimagined a bit some of our own design thinking tools, really. And, and one of them, for example, was one that I, that I also shared on, on LinkedIn last year, which is uh, what we call our solution design canvas, which replicates exactly that thinking process. Uh, it starts with structuring triggers, capturing client situation issues, business outcomes on the client side, and then thinking about, okay, what is the solution? How is this actually delivered? What's the journey? What's the delivery process behind it? And how is it composed out of methods, 
insights, technologies, which are then underpinned by internal capabilities, our traditional professionals, but also external capabilities, you know, the suppliers and alliance partners who we work with. And, and that is just more or less the, the, the core of it and how we define a solution. And you can really see that this is basically a canvas. And, and only underneath would we then also rethink how this reflects financially for us as a firm. And, and we would not just think about, you know, how many hours or days go into delivering a solution. I, I think this is very much an outdated way to think about it. We would also start this by looking at what defines the client's success and what should be based on client success. What should be the, the, the revenue model from a client-centric perspective? And then we can think about what does it take to, um, you know, do this with good delivery performance um, on an engagement, on a matter, on a case, on a project, whatever you want to call it, and what are the invests and costs associated with that? And uh, you, will, you will see when you envision that really as a graphical map that it, it is all about the client and taking this very people human-centric approach to rethinking our entire value chain and value propositions. So I, I hope I was able to um, translate that into words, what we did there, in most cases, very, very graphically and in workshops um, across our firm and capturing how we, how we look at our business. Yeah, so it's actually all about designing things. <laughs> yeah, uh, design thinking is really at the heart of it. And, um, and it's something that, that I would say is, will increasingly transcend all professional service firms and all offerings irrespective of what area are we talking about and what's the business model. So um, it sounds like that you have innovated a lot within your firm. What do you think are the key elements when thinking of innovation in law firms? Do you have any favorite topics or it's just some pointers for other firms? What should they be thinking about? Mm, I have to say that, you know, maybe... Um, I'm, I'm, I'm very biased with my KPMG lens because we operate our law firm, of course, under the KPMG brand and very closely connected to the rest of our business, right? So I do see mostly a lot of similarity in how we start to approach things and a lot of interesting overlap and complementary um, capabilities that, that we can bring together. And I think that echoes uh, across the market. Um, so I think one of the most interesting developments is really when this solution thinking is being adopted. And, and I think it is, whether it's called solution thinking or something else in other firms, then we do see a different approach to um, delivering services or, or value propositions, right? It's, it gets a lot more uh, cross-disciplinary. There's a lot more diverse capability that needs to be involved um, and different skills and uh, basically, law firms, I think, are increasingly realizing, either driven by their clients or together with their clients, that it's not just um, about bringing excellent legal expertise to the table, but about a lot of other elements as well. As well. And I think that's, that's very, very exciting because it opens up 
um, a different playing field uh, for, for law firms. And, and they're starting to realize that. And it's very noticeable in the market. There's um, a huge influx of uh, legal tech uh, vendors um, to law firms and legal departments alike. Um, a growing spectrum of alternative legal service providers echoing that. And um, a lot of interesting developments also with the traditional players who are really rethinking how they structure their uh, organizations, what kind of roles they need, and also who they need to collaborate with. And sometimes um, these collaborations happen between competitors or between traditional players and new players or adjacent um, uh, capabilities. Um, we do find ourselves as KPMG often partnering with other law firms on delivering such holistic solutions for our clients together because we bring different capabilities to the table. So um, yeah, when you ask me about what's, what's really interesting in the market, I would say it's one of the most interesting markets because um, there is a broad recognition that this market is evolving quickly and that it's growing in terms of the options and strategic playing fields available to all firms and even down to the individual professionals who can take on different career paths, who can um, uh, broaden their, their own horizon in terms of what's possible, you know, what am I inclined to do? And it's not just about pursuing um, an expert career in a certain field anymore. Yeah, great points. It's really an interesting time to be a lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. So, Sebastian, uh, we are all lawyers now, shifting to the solution-oriented, uh, human-centric, client-centric mindset. Do you think that would increase the number of innovations in general when lawyers start to focus more on, on giving the advice that will fit actually the client's business, that will that eventually start to change the whole, whole market as well, that the way businesses are run and what kind of ideas can come up through that change of mindset? I think, I think that's already happening, uh, Nina. I think I'm very confident that we will see the, the number of innovations increasing. I think uh, the industry is probably, in, in many cases, still lacking um, certain performance management or measurement numbers around that. And what, maybe it takes a while for, um, for the industry to, to get to broad reporting on those numbers. But I'm sure they will all point upwards and have pointed upwards over the past couple of years. We see that reflecting, again, if I may come back to the survey, which we've done um, late last summer, we, we really could see how um, different technologies, for example, are being applied and where and for what. And you could see that technology, for example, is not something that is just underpinning back office processes in firms anymore, but is, it is being used to innovate how the firm delivers value, where growth comes from, how more profitable um, work can be done and, and that is showing across all, all parameters. And it is also creating increasingly positive returns. I think at the moment, a lot of those returns are maybe around client experience and satisfaction. That is very, very notable. Whereas um, 
you know, uh, maybe revenue or profit improvements are lagging behind slightly in the numbers, but it's all still quite noticeable with the firms that are very active in this space. So the number surely will go up and I think we will see that increasing over the next few years. Um, also, uh, when, I, when I look towards the technology vendors in this space, um, both uh, the, the big um, players um, and, and the big cloud providers, as well as the super small and specialized ISVs are really pushing um, into this market for professional service firms these days uh, because they do see the potential and, um, and the need for change. Can you uh, mention some interesting examples of great legal innovations that you've been working with recently? Um, so I think there, there are a number of interesting uh, players and examples out there. Um, one that I find particularly interesting was actually born out of um, KPMG's um, audit innovation efforts. Uh, it's called Engine B. Uh, when you look them up, you will see that they're very much about creating um, something that, uh, you know, you could translate as maybe a Bluetooth for audit because it is very much about um, standardizing the way financial data is um, uh, extracted from client systems and then processed by audit firms. And, and that means that it is changing the way audit firms can collaborate with clients and, um, and, and how this work is then also um, reviewed by the regulator, etc. So it's, it's a very interesting field with a lot happening. Interestingly, what Engine B is doing in the audit space echoes in the legal space as well. So they're at the moment looking at expanding this project into the legal space and are already working with some law firms on that. Because if they're actually, you know, just, just imagine a world where there is a standard for certain data coming out of systems, yeah. you will have uh, a much easier time developing digital solutions around that, processing that data, coming back with advice so that the firms themselves can focus a lot more on what's actually being done with the data and the insights that are being produced and you know the, the advice and actions coming out of it yeah. uh, rather than today where a lot of effort still goes into getting to the data, extracting it um, and, and transforming it so that you can actually work with it. Um, so I think that is... That is one very, very interesting example. And, and by the way, this development is something that you will see in technology players again as well. So the whole development of vertical industry clouds um, that is happening with Microsoft, with AWS, with Google and others, um, that today is probably focused much more on other sectors like retail, automotive, financial services. I think we will see that happening in professional service firms very, very soon as well and for our space. Um, so I think we're probably only um, months or very few years away from the emergence of much more specific vertical cloud offerings in, in our space that address exactly that need and will accelerate the pace of innovation in our sector. Interesting. That sounds great. Yeah, and yeah, we will keep an eye on Engine B. It sounds an interesting project. Uh, Sebastian, you already mentioned some insights about data, and a lot of businesses are data-driven nowadays. And from my perspective, some legal departments and law firms 
are starting to understand the importance of data. But I feel like that many firms are still focusing on just the billable hours and only collect and analyze the data about the billable hours. What do you think? What other data should legal departments and law firms collect and analyze? And how could this be beneficial for the client? So I think that um, there is there's a lot of potential in many areas of collecting data and using data. I think there's still a um, staggering shortcoming when it comes to data um, that, that firms should actually naturally control. Like, what are we actually selling to which client? Um, again, when you think about the typical law firm, for example, you will find that they typically know very well what which clients they are serving and they yeah. are serving them. But very often when you try to dig deeper in terms of, you know, okay, so this is a professional that sits within our labor law practice or within our M&A practice. So probably he's doing that type of work, right? But when you, when you dig deeper, um, it, it gets very hard and, and the data is often not there or there's not much effort around managing this data. But if you actually want to, deliver next generation solutions, you need to be very much aware of what is actually being sold here and how do you um, achieve scalability of those things across many clients and engagements. So you need a lot more visibility into which methods are being applied, which insights are being used, where is technology being used? How do you charge for technology, right? Today, most firms are capturing professionals' time, more or less end of story when it, when it comes to looking at the profitability of clients or matters or engagements. But in the future, we will need data on how much is which technology being used or which kind of data, or which kind of IP. Uh, I would say probably there are still many firms out there uh, who are not really looking at what kind of IP they are producing. Are they actually producing IP? You know, when they are configuring a system um, in which they anchor some of their expertise or capturing that or developing even just, you know, workflow enhancing tools, very often a lot of IP goes in there, but how do they treat it? How do they capture it? So I think there's a huge spectrum in terms of data needs ranging all the way from measuring client success into delivering uh, engagements and managing the firm where firms can do better. I think it's very interesting that in those areas where firms are actually tackling it, they already see improvements. And, and there are examples across everything. So some firms are experimenting with um, finding new ways of measuring client satisfaction and, and finding out how happy are clients uh, with what's happening, you know, during an engagement, not just, you know, the typical feedback survey afterwards. But yeah. More like those things when we roll off a Zoom call or a Teams meeting and, you know, we get that star rating, uh, like how was that interaction? Yeah, exactly. So, you know, that principle is finding its way into, into client engagement work now. And, and I think... Um, a lot more needs to be done in that space, but our firms are realizing that and um, are starting to get there. But data will definitely play a crucial role going forward. Exactly. It's going to be interesting to see how we can innovate when we actually use the data. Yeah, and it will be also very truth revealing to see what the data tells. And sometimes maybe that's the reason why, why some people are a bit reluctant to to start applying these data-driven options because 
<laughs> they maybe re reveal something uncomfortable as well. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think many, many firms are still uh, reluctant um, when it comes to re rethinking how data um, is uh, produced, how it's captured, how it's um, analyzed and reported. But I think that doesn't have to be the case. And I also don't think that it has to be a burden on professionals. You know, I think it is really time that we get rid of those uh, timesheets as, as a really good example, right? Um, filling out a table where you, you know, say I've worked this many hours or minutes on this client, especially, you know, when you think about law firms and this super small granular time increments, which need to be captured um, in, in most jurisdictions, um, that, that's work just that doesn't need to be done manually. There are tools for that that can capture that automatically and can just, you know, suggest to the professional at the end of the day, okay, is this how the, how the time should be allocated? Um, did I get it right? And then you submit it and you're done. Um, why are not more firms adopting that? And why is that not used to, to improve how um, services are being delivered? Um, you know, get to productivity insights, get to, get to insights that allow firms to, to optimize um, their delivery much more systematically. Thank you, Sebastian. Uh, to summarize our discussion, why should all the law firms be interested in legal design? Probably the short answer is um, because it is a great way to put the client front and center and work from there to delivering better value and better firm performance ultimately. It is very much a mindset that needs to be ingrained and can facilitate the entire evolution and transformation process of our industry. So it is not... Um, a nice to have, it's a must have for the firms that want to succeed in this new environment. Thank you for joining us, Sebastian. This was really inspiring and full of insights. It was great to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you as well. Really enjoyed that. Thank you for being our guest. And thank you for listening to the Legal Design Podcast. You can visit our website on legaldesignpodcast.com or follow us on our social media accounts on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn.